0: Once we get past money, right? And technology, it really comes down to people. And choosing the right people, getting the right people in the right position. And in a NASCAR pit crew, everyone has a dedicated position. And when we have those things in place, the tools, the technology, the training, and then the people, that is a recipe for building championship teams. And the three pillars that I've learned, discovered, and used while building high-performance teams is culture, communication and execution this is getting to yes the
1: podcast with leaders from all walks of life exploring their successes mistakes and lessons learned in influence and persuasion getting others to say yes and then taking an insight or two to help them achieve even greater things Take it from today's guest, Matt Clark, on how to build a winning strategy for reaching high performance. Matt spent over 15 years in NASCAR building high-performance pit crews for championship drivers like Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson and others in the course winning five NASCAR championships over 70 race wins and being crowned NASCAR pit crew challenge champion, among many other accolades. And after retiring from active NASCAR duty, as I call it, he's now sharing his unique insights, experiences and lessons that were forged at the highest level of competition, particularly when it comes to the power of communicating effectively building the right team culture, and executing strategy. And you may know that I'm a huge Formula One racing fan for the last decade. And when I saw Matt give a keynote speech on the mind shifts necessary to reach high performance, I just knew I had to bring him on. So,
0: Matt, welcome to the show. Julie, thanks for having me so much. I'm stoked to be here. I love Formula One. But my platform and my experience has been in NASCAR. So I'm looking forward to hanging out, talking a little bit of racing, high performance, mindset, belief systems, and uh, helping people grow to that next level in life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The reason why I'm so fascinated with Formula One, it's in part man and machine, right? In part, it is the tools, the technology that you have to have in place. But on the other hand, even the best technology can win a race, you know, to win a race, you have to first finish. You know, there's the racecraft and obviously the pit crew, and you know, back at the factory, there's so many people involved. And so, I love the analogy that just like in business, it's the interplay of technology and humans to really win championships. So, since you've led championship winning teams, in looking back, what do you see as the biggest differentiators to clinch the top spot for a number of years you know what's the difference between the number one spot the number one team and the runner-ups etc
0: okay it's a pretty simple answer money okay (laughs) but once we get past money right and technology is the same and everyone has the same resources per se it really comes down to people And choosing the right people, getting the right people in the right position. And in a NASCAR pit crew, everyone has a dedicated position. And when we have those things in place, the tools, the technology, the training, and then the people, that is a recipe for building championship teams. And the three pillars that I've learned, discovered, and used while building high-performance teams is culture, communication, and execution. Now, the precursor to all that is having the right mindset, which I love talking about. But when we talk about culture, communication, and execution, those are the three things that you have to have to build a winning team.
1: So when you start from scratch, you know, I assume that when you joined these teams, they were at some level. And then Matt, you came in and you took it up a notch. And, you know, so where do you start? Building high performance, what do you look at? You said communication, culture, and obviously execution, but more specifically, what what are you actually looking at? Are you looking at, here's typical signs and symptoms that something is not working, and then start from there? So
0: we have to look at our people. We have to look at their skill set. We have to be able to project, are they going to be able to take us next level? Because we have to remember, the people that got us to a certain point may not take us to the next level. So we have to look at what the benchmarks are on print road and say, hey, with training and some coaching, can we get them there? Or are they too far away from that benchmark to get them? Now, when I came in working with Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson, they already had high performers. So it's a matter of how do we help them? And when you get at that level, it is more about the mindset than it is the skill level. Because when we back it up, we start someone who's never changed tires or done something on a pit crew. We just say, Hey, listen, there's a car. It's not moving here. Are the tools, whether it's a pit gun or a Jack or a fuel can, all we want you to do is just do rep after rep after rep coach. I want the car to move. No. Cause what we want is we want consistency, right? Then consistency builds confidence. Now they have confidence. Then they have the speed. A lot of times we have folks come in. I'm speed. I'm good. I'm an athlete. I can do this. And, Julie, we've had folks that were Major League Baseball players, NFL players, come into pit practice. And listen, these guys are amazing athletes. But when we put the racing tools in their hands, they were novices. And it was so much fun to see them humbled. But then what we heard from them is like, this is, we respect what you guys do. We had no idea. You guys make it look simple. And that's really the basis of the pro game, no matter what it is. Whether you're a photographer, graphic designer, mountain climber, a pit crew coach, an entrepreneur, the pro game is a totally different level. And and when you work in the pro game, sure, it's about the skills and some of the X's and O's, but it is more about the mindset and belief systems to take you to unlimited. And that's what we wanted. Unlimited champions, folks that were just unlimited in how they think. How they pursued life and how they went after winning championships and race after race after race.
1: So yeah, I definitely want to put return to this idea of you know what's the belief, what's the mindsets that need to be in place when when you talk about high performance. But if we're just touching on communication and culture, uh, let's talk about this. You know, what did you find that for people that run their own companies, their own teams, when it comes to culture and communication where do most people maybe miss the boat or just unknowingly you know just don't even know what they don't know
0: okay so let's start with culture first culture happens by design or default i like to define culture simply as the personality of your company it's the interface it's what people experience your internal customers right the folks that work with you your vendors etc or your external customers your clients so that is Culture, our personality. And you have to develop that. And one of the, my most favorite things to do with my coaching clients is to help them build out their core values because the core values are the fuel to the culture, right? So if you don't have core values, what are you rallying yourself around? We aren't creating the culture because it's happening by default. But when we have specific core values, it could be discipline, it could be hustle, it could be customer service, it could be happiness. And the beauty of it is, every owner gets to decide what they want the personality of their company to be. So let's take two real quick. There are two high-profile prof- names when I talk about culture and communication. Let's see if if you figure this out, Uli. When I say, "Hey, what's one company that has an amazing culture and you experience it when you interact with them?"
1: The one thing, and and you know, again, Tony Shea with you know Zappos. The shoe company, which, you know, obviously Amazon swallowed them up a couple of years ago, but that was a really amazing example where the founder had a very uncommon philosophy of how to, how the culture should be.
0: That's a perfect example. And I refer to him, but how about Chick-fil-A? If you've been to a -A, Chick-fil-A, there's an experience that you have regardless of where you are in the nation, right? The other one is what? Apple. You walk into an apple store regardless of where you are there is this personality this feeling and it is by design it is by intention and at our level regardless we're not chick-fil-a we're not apple yet but we can create the culture the personality the interface that we want and that happens when we build it out through our core values yeah. now core values let's shift gears here right communication When I talk to business owners, entrepreneurs, corporate teams, one of the biggest complaints that they have, the team members, is our communication is lacking. We don't communicate well. And a lot of it is, first of all, we don't understand how people communicate and then what they need to receive in communication. And I don't want to go deep in this, but I'm a certified DISC instructor, trainer, and DISC is really the personality of, it is really how we communicate, right? Our different personalities. Yep. How we communicate and how we receive communication, and sometimes we we communicate the same way to everyone and This is what I learned. You may need the same message packaged a little different way than my next coworker or my next team member and if I can learn that about my team, I can begin to say, "Hey, so for example, for me, I happen to be a high d dominant you know outgoing high i right influencing, et cetera." So someone can have a very hard, direct, frank conversation with me and it's not going to crush me and hurt my feelings. Someone else who is not wired like that, if they had that same direct conversation and they're very laid back, steady, super conscientious, almost muted, and we had that hard conversation, they're going to shut down and not respond. So back to bring a bow on top of all this is that we need to understand how our people communicate how people are wired. So we learn how to communicate with them. And then we can communicate effectively. We can close the communication loop because I'm responsible for my communication. So if you don't understand what I'm saying, right, we we have the sender, the message, the receiver, and the feedback. That's the communication loop. Then I need to make sure that you understood what I was saying. And then I have to make sure that I checked my tone, right? Because my wife says this to me all the time, (laughs) Matt. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. I'm like, oh, you're right. So the message was right, but the tone was wrong. So really understanding how we communicate will help us communicate more effectively.
1: Yeah, I love this disc mention of the disc score, etc. It's it's one of the key things that if you're a company that's working, you know, with clients for a number of times, having them take the disk assessment so that you as a company, as a project manager, actually know. Are they a D? Are there an S? Are there a C? So that, you know, this simple knowledge of, you know, how they prefer to receive information or how they process it is making the whole project so much easier. And ultimately, this is really the premise of getting to, yes, the, the title of the podcast, how do we have to say it to somebody so that their brain process the information in the fastest way possible. How do we use these persuasion prompts, triggers? And again, as you said, it's how you say it that can have a material difference, whether people get it, whether people take action on, you know, what you need to do. For me, working with doctors, you know, obviously, how do you get somebody to take care of their health? You know, people procrastinate with their health. So if a doctor could learn how to be more cognizant, how they express Information, then obviously they get a lot more buy-in. So I love that. So during your keynote, you you shared a powerful analogy talking about the key element in race cars to extract maximum performance from the engine, and I love for you to share that because I think it's a
0: very powerful analogy that symbolizes a lot. So if we look at our brain as the ultimate horsepower, we have to figure out how we get the horsepower to the wheels. These NASCAR race cars go 200 miles an hour. They have 700 horsepower. But how do we get the horsepower to the wheels? And that happens via a transmission. Now, we can look at the transmission as our belief system. Now, we have a manual transmission, right? That's our consciousness. So we're shifting gears. We make the decisions. We live our day-to-day in that consciousness. That is the manual transmission. But our belief system is found in the subconscious or the automatic transmission. Now, the automatic transmission still shifts gears, but it does it in the background. And that's where our beliefs hang out, Lee. So when we talk about the ultimate horsepower of the brain, it's our belief system that gets us to the next level. When we talk about pushing through and figuring out, hey, what's holding us back? And to your point, what gets us to yes? And I believe it is having a strong understanding of how beliefs are formed and how we can change our beliefs.
1: Absolutely. It's like, you know, again, there's this transmission, and I'm sure you're going to go deeper on this, that the beliefs create really your self-talk. The self-talk is then turning into the language that you use and ultimately language inspires action. So why don't we dig a little bit deeper into the mechanics of beliefs and how that transmission actually happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. So if uh, if we look at Gandhi's famous quote, and it's, our beliefs become our thoughts, our thoughts become our words, our words become our actions, our actions become our values, and our values become our destiny, then we understand how powerful it is to change our thoughts or our beliefs so that way we can change our destiny. I was stuck on that for a while. I was like, this is a great saying. This is awesome. But I couldn't figure out how to change my beliefs. They were almost abstract to me. And I'm a mindset coach. I'm like, okay, yeah, my beliefs need to change. I need to change them. I need to change them. But it wasn't until I understood how it happened and what was the neuroscience behind what was happening that it helped me unpack and get out of neutral in that automatic transmission of self-limiting belief. Then I understood, okay, now I can get my beliefs changed. So if you want to dive a little bit into the neuroscience, yeah. we can we can do that for a minute. But if we look at ourselves, and let's go back one step, let's look at let's look at the belief system. How are beliefs formed, right? So we have an event, and, and listen, we're taking in millions of bits of data every second. Now our brain is a super filter, so it's filtering a lot of it out or else we would just basically lose our minds, right? But it picks up on what it thinks is important. Then we have an interpretation of that event. Now, the interpretation is our brain is constantly trying to make sense of what's happening around us, and it's searching for meaning, and it's checking the database of prior events. Now, at the same time, obviously this is happening at a super high, quick, fast level, there is a physiological response. So, whether I call it the juice, but the neuropeptides in our body that communicate with the 50 trillion cells or so, they're sending out signals, et cetera, about this event. And if the event is powerful enough, positive or negative, we save it as a memory. I'm going to ask you a question. What did you have for breakfast last Wednesday?
1: I have no unless idea. Have
0: this, right. Unless you have the same thing every day, you're like, well, I just know I had it because I don't deviate. It wasn't impactful enough. If I said to you, hey, Tell me about when you almost got hit by the car when you stepped off the curb last Tuesday night. You'd been like, oh, that was crazy, right? That was a powerful memory. So then it's stored, if it's powerful, it's moved from short-term memory to long-term memory. And then what happens, the brain begins to look for reinforcing events. Now, stepping off the curb, now you'll know like, hey, next time I step off a curb, I need to be careful. However, when it comes to self-limiting beliefs, We can have a belief, an event that happens to us. It's super powerful. And I had this happen in my own life years ago when I was in high school. And then I began to stack some other false beliefs on top of that. And my brain kept looking for that reinforcement. And that's where I was stuck because I was in this um, neutral place of not being able to change my beliefs because they were so deep rooted at the subconscious. So then I began to do some research about unpacking that and what that looks like. And then I dove into the physiological response of what was happening at the cellular level. And I'm going to pull up this tennis ball, right, for the folks that are watching. We have 50 trillion cells in our body. And each one of these cells represented by this tennis ball have what they call on on them receptors. Now, each receptor has its own shape, size, etc., and within our body, there's over 200 neurochemicals that match the receptors on this tennis ball. Now, those neuroreceptors, happiness, calmness, gratitude, fight or flight, a lot of the neurochemicals in our body that are going around, they connect with the cell. So let's say we have an event that we deem as hurting us or making us feel less than. Well, there's a neurological, a physiological response. So. Those neuropeptides are what I just simply call the juice to keep it simple because I'm a simple guy. That juice is flowing throughout the cellular pathways. It connects with the cell and it pumps the flavor of that juice into this cell. Now, the more times this happens, now I begin to look for that reinforcing event. And the more I see these things, if I'm not acknowledged, if I'm not feeling that I'm valued, That reaction happens, that physiological response, and it connects to the cell, and my beliefs now are happening at the cellular level. That's a very simplistic view of it, but that view and understanding of the physiological response to these events helped me understand, wait a second, this is mere science. My beliefs, now my interpretations are one thing, but my beliefs are basically science-based. So that means if they're science-based, I know what's happening, I can change them. And that's what I began to dive into like okay, how do I change my beliefs and that's what I've been working through that's what I'm working on that's what I'm helping other people work on is how do I change that belief of I'm not enough and I'll be very transparent with you let me share a quick story about my own situation yeah please do I spent twenty years in NASCAR and I was very humbled when you read my introduction every time I hear it i I, I shake my head I'm amazed at the success that I've had, and I don't take really any credit for it per se. I am a person of faith. But even amiss, among all of that success, I felt like an imposter. I didn't feel like I belonged. I had a situation in high school baseball that made me feel like I was less than. I graduated from a no-name college. I worked at a small Division 3 college as a baseball coach and athletic director and then all of a sudden I am working at NASCAR's highest level with drivers like Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. I thought for sure I was going to be found out as an imposter. What is this guy doing here? And these voices in my head would just scream and scream and scream and I worked hard and I worked hard and I had the desire. But through all of this research and doing some deep work I discovered that I was confusing desire for belief. Now, I had the desire to be successful. I had the desire to do the thing and to go next level. But my belief system didn't line up with that. And when I finally understood that and understood the science, how beliefs were formed, the physiological response, the fact that I was confusing desire for belief, is when I began to say, okay, I can do this. I can make the change. And for me, it wasn't about motivation. It wasn't about necessarily like, you know, these affirmations of like, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, I'm good enough. I had to figure out how to go deeper and make that work. Let's go back for a second to the manual transmission and automatic transmission. Manual transmission is fairly easy to work with, right? We can have the input, we can change. The automatic transmission or our subconscious is where our beliefs are stored. It's very hard to change that. So we have to figure out what do we do to change our beliefs at the subconscious level? And that's where I began to dive in and do a little work of trying to understand how that happened.
1: Yeah, powerful story. Um, And I guess imposter syndrome is something that a lot of people struggle, people that you would never imagine from their outward appearance that this is something that's challenging for them, but the truth is it is uh for a lot of people for the majority of people, probably, I can certainly appreciate that you know especially as an entrepreneur, you're always wondering, well, is this really gonna work out? You know, can I hack it? Your customers require that you believe and that you transmit that belief if you don't believe it yourself at the core, then it's a lot harder to get that motivation or to, to muster the energy or the moxie to actually express that.
0: So do you have a second to go a little deeper into the neuroscience? Because I course. love this stuff, but I don't want to get too deep. But we talked about the cells, right, and the juice and, you know, the juice having a certain uh, shape and size as well as the receptors on the cell. However, what we have to understand is our cells vibrate at a certain frequency. So does the quote unquote juice. Now, I could never put my hand or my mind, my head around like when people talk about that person has a certain energy, right? They have, or we talk about energy and we talk about quantum physics and it's very woo woo. And I was like, ah, man, what is that? And then as I began to understand what's happening at the cellular level, our cells are vibrating. And I believe this is me, I believe. When our cells are vibrating with these positive neurochemicals and they're connecting, I believe that's what people are sensing and feeling. So let's look at a case study per se. How does a dog know when someone who we think is a fantastic person, a dog's hair on the back of their neck stands up because they sense something is wrong or different? I think it's they have a perception, and I think we have it too when we dial it in, a perception of what's happening with the energy or cellular energy from person to person. Now, I don't want to get too deep and too woo-woo on this, but as I began to study, I just began to be open to more of this thought that there's more to this understanding energy than I've led to myself to believe in the past. And that's to your point, getting to yes, if you walk into close a sale and in your heart of hearts, you're like, I'm not going to get it. What do you think the probability of you not getting it is? Now there's probably a lot of exterior tells that are happening, but there's also, I believe this energy that is perceptive and the person's like, yeah, I just don't know if this is the right company or you're the right person to do the job for me. But if we truly believe in our heart of hearts. I believe that we are resonating, we have an energy, we have a frequency about us that people pick up on and say, you know what, there's something about him. They're genuine, they're honest, they're transparent, they're real, their price might be higher, but you know what, I'm going to go with them. And I think that's the deeper part of the story is understanding how we're wired and that we are way more than we give ourselves to be when it comes to understanding how we are put together, how our beliefs are put together, and how our energy vibrates throughout the atmosphere. I hope that didn't get too deep and too, you know, sciency based. But for me, I'm a firm believer. The more I study it, the more I look into it. I really believe that that's what's happening for a lot of folks. That their energy level is very perceptible, and people are not dialing into that and saying, "Ah, eh, not connecting, not feeling it."
1: Yeah, I love that appreciation and tight or that explanation. And it ties into a lot of the previous podcast episodes where we talk about this from a slightly different angle, but bringing it back to teams and team culture and high performance, you know, most of what we just talked about was working with your own mindset and unlocking these subconscious limiting beliefs and patterns that that keep us stuck. How do you see this play out when you're working with clients, when you're working with teams, where they really hire you to help them and their company extract maximum performance out of it? Do you work with individuals one-on-one or how does this actually then happen that they work on that?
0: Right. So if we look at a team, right, we all face different adversity at different times. What we want to have is a common goal. And when we are working on that common goal during what I call game time, that we're all tracking in the same direction. Now, if we use a NASCAR pit crew, for example, we may be having a great day of unbelievable pit stops, but someone makes a mistake. So one or two things can happen. They can fall apart or they can bounce back. And for me, the the telltale of someone who is strong mentally and someone who has their belief system figured out is if they bounce back from a bad pit stop or a bad golf shot as opposed to go into the tank. So we look at it at the the individual level, but then we say, how is this playing out within the team? And if that mindset of like, well, as a team, we're just not good enough, then we have to address that. But I think we start individually, and then we work outward from there, because a team is really what? Is made up of a bunch of individuals. So again, this is a side note. My most or highest performing teams have always been different. You would think, oh, they're all the same and they're wired the same. It's not necessarily true. What we have to have is people that are on the same page looking for the same goal and the same outcome and willing to put the work in to get the job done. They may not want to hang out after a race. Like they may respect each other. And I'm big about this. They may not want to hang out and have dinner. And they may not quote unquote love each other, but what I want is respect. Like you respect the work that I put in. You respect my output. We don't have to be super friends and hang out and do weekends together. We're together a lot, but we have to respect each other on a professional level. And if those friendships and if those relationships deepen, yes, you talk about that strength, that bond of brotherhood, that bond of sisterhood. That's where it gets super deep. And you see guys crying on, gals crying on each other's shoulders because they went through this together. But it doesn't always have to be that way to win. Wow. Powerful insights
1: there. Matt, thank you so much for sharing these nuggets. Where can people connect with you or learn more about what you do, uh, tap into um,
0: everything that you do? I would say uh, my website is pretty easy to find, www.mattclarkmc.com. And all of my social handles are Matt Clark MC. So whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, it's Matt Clark MC. Pretty easy to find.
1: Well, th- thanks for that. We'll put it in the show notes. And again, Matt. Thank you for an excellent interview. Again, big fan of Formula One. And for me, it definitely resonated. For those of you listening, I hope it does too. And Matt, do you want to have the final word
0: as we close this episode? I would say this. Everyone faces imposter syndrome. Everyone has self-limiting beliefs. I want to challenge you to do the deep work to figure out what they are to get clarity, to get them changed, you change your beliefs, you will change your destiny. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for having
1: me. I trust this episode was inspiring and that you'll join me for a new episode each and every week. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening, and feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Isalo. See you next week.